wow, we've been waiting to do this edition of On The Whistle for some time. We have a fan forum with some of our loyal fans and some football fans from around the world. This show has started. Why? So that Africans can tell their stories. We can celebrate our heroes and, of course, interact as a community. So we have the regulars, the guys always on the couches, Yawunde's finest, Francis and Quain, finally decked out in his Man United regalia. We have Premier Soccer League winner Courtney Fries, who's gone Latin American on us with his uh, Argentine um, Boca Juniors jersey. We have Ahmed Youssef, proudly wearing the red of Egypt. Thank you guys for joining. It's always a pleasure to have you here. And for those of you who don't know, I have the privilege of hosting the show. My name is Zain Nabi. I am in the triumphant 1996 AFCON winning gold, black, white, green of South Africa. We remember that one. Nigeria couldn't come to the tournament because they were too scared, too scared of us to play. And we won that final. We won it. There I am. I'm throwing the I'm throwing grenades. I'm throwing landmines. We're gonna have some fun. Um, and we also have an Arsenal super fan with us and a Nigerian super fan, Kalechi. Kalechi, tell our audience a little bit about you about yourself. Well, um, you said I'm um, Dr. Kalechi Anyukude, um, an Arsenal fan. Um Properly known for spreading love and positivity, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I'm a Nigerian as well. Um, yeah, that's basically just a local man trying to do his local things. That's all. There's nothing special. Well, welcome, welcome. And we know that you are one of the faces Arsenal fan TV are associated with. You also go to World Cups and follow Nigeria. And you are the unofficial ambassador for the Super Eagles. So we're privileged to have you here. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> cool. Um, also bringing in certainly the rose among the thorns, the creator amongst the defenders, the person who is the brightest mind amongst us. Sammy, welcome. Where are you from? Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Sammy and I'm from Peter Maritzburg, originally in South Africa. Whoa, from the Whoa, I'm from Peter Maritzburg. Pelham is where I'm from. Peter Maritzburg Girls High is where I went to school. Um, I've been living and working in London for 12 years now, first in marketing and um, now doing what I love as a freelance journalist covering sports. Welcome, Sammy. Had I known you from Peter Maritzburg, you might have not been invited to this. Because people in Durban and Maritzburg, you know, that's like Manchester and Liverpool. That's like Madrid and Barcelona. You know what I'm saying? We, 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 we foreigners. You love us. And we know that. Because we are the capital of the Zulu kingdom. So, hey. <laughs> you know what? There's a reason they call it Sleepy Hollow. Because nothing goes on there. But listen, Sammy, we love having you here. We love having you here. Um, and finally, we have Nimlin from South Africa, who, um, what I suppose we share in common, Nimlin, is that we were mighty Mauler fans when they effectively did a Leicester City in South Africa before Leicester City could even dream to do it in uh, in, in the Premier League in England. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I think before there was Leicester, there was many Rangers. I mean... Uh... That was a real fairy tale story. I, I don't need to 
to remind Courtney about that. I mean, he was part of the team, and uh, yeah, it's still, it's still, I suppose, a miracle when you consider now how much, how much teams like Wirtz, Sundowns have invested into winning the PSL. But I mean, Rangers did it on a shoestring budget. So, so glad to be here. Uh, yeah, originally from Derbs, uh, now based in Johannesburg. Uh, working in telecom. So, yeah, looking forward to a good show. Awesome. And if I can ask you a question first, Nimlin, what is your favorite Courtney Freeze memory? Sure. That, that's a tough one because, I mean, and Courtney will tell you, when you play, when you're playing home games at, at, at Chatswood Stadium, the, you're playing it against a backdrop of a, of a I'll call it a, a green haze of smoke. Um, Lots of abuse from 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 the crowds, so I think I remember Courtney Freeze as being a, I mean, I'll call him a, a player who could play anywhere. I mean, he was he was, I think, not even a full Neville. He probably he probably wrote the book on, you know, being being a team guy. And uh, I don't think we have too many of those, or not enough of these in in our PSL today. Full Neville Freeze. I like the sound of that. It was just an interesting time, uh, an opportunity for um, a team that is unrecognized, unvalued, given no respect by the rest of the footballing nation to do, to do something like that. And then also it highlights that community as well. Um, uh, it puts that community on the map. Uh, but an interesting time, enjoyable as well. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Well, before we get into the fan forum, we're also going to have some fun. So people at home, people here, we're going to have an African football quiz. I'm going to pop up over the, the, the course of the show and I'm going to ask questions. And just like any league, we'll, we'll look at the league table halfway through the show. And right at the end, we'll see if we can crown a winner. And if we have to go to goal difference and assists, we, we'll, we'll figure that out. So... Um, I'm going to start off by asking you a set of three questions. If you listen to the show, if you love African football, I think you'll be okay. So to start off the quiz, I'm going to ask you the first question, if I can find it. So just bear with me while I get this up. Uh, doo -doo -doo -doo. All right, guys, first question up. I'm going to trust each of you not to Google, and you're going to mark yourself on this. So... I'm just trusting there's a, there's it's like an honesty bar. You 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 trust um you trust the people that that that, that put the money in. It's like lost and lost property which Courtney said he never had at his school. You trust the people when they come and ask uh that it is indeed this. So I'm trusting everyone on here. First question. Which was the only African country that defied the coronavirus shutdown on the continent? and kept their local domestic league going before postponing it due to upcoming elections. Please do not shout your answer out because we want you to just keep a track of it and we don't want to give Courtney any tips to help him. Second question. Which country has won the most African Cup of Nations titles? There might be somebody on this call or in this virtual chat that is wearing the jersey of that country. And your third and final question of this round. Former Nigerian international Peter Osaze Odomwingi has dual heritage. He's half Nigerian. 
what is the other part of his heritage? All right, guys, the first round is over. Keep your, keep your, keep your answers to yourself. Keep them written down. We're going to mark them a little later in the show. But for now, we're going to get the ball rolling. We're going to get the bride started. We're going to get the shisha pipes out. We're going to get the water, beers, whatever you want on the table. And Sammy, we're going to start with a question from you to the group. Question is, who do you guys think is the most underrated African footballer, um, either past or present? Great question to get us get us going. I think we'll do it in this order. Let's start with Ahmed and then maybe Francis, and then we'll let everybody go in after that. Yeah, I mean, um, I guess I'd, I'll be a bit biased here um, and pick someone that we also, an Egyptian player that we discussed last week, which is Mohamed Abu Traker. Um, and I think the reason why I'd say he's underrated, he, he was kind of highly rated in Africa, but I mean, for, outside of Africa, he was an unheard of name. And he was kind of one of the, one of the best attacking midfielders, one of the best midfielders in that um, you know, Egypt side and, and, and Africa that won that Africa Cup of Nations three times in a row. He was pivotal um, in, in 2006 and 2008. Um, and, and I felt that even his ability-wise, he could have easily, he said he could have played in Europe, he had offers from Europe, but he decided to stay in Egypt, and I think that's why he wasn't viewed as that top, top player, and he only won the, um, the only the only kind of big thing that he won was the BBC African Player of the Year in 2008, um, when he helped Al-Ahli reach the, come third in the World Club Cup, so he's obviously a very good player, but I don't think he got that acclaim um, outside of, uh, of Africa, so yeah, that's what I'd say. Very highly rated in Egypt, highly rated across Africa, just maybe on the global platform. Then we can say maybe in that space, uh, he doesn't get the credit he deserves. But if I was looking at the leagues that I follow, um, a player like Toby uh, Mikel, for example, and what he did with Nigeria and what he did uh, in Chelsea, I don't think even Chelsea fans fully appreciated the quality of his game and the fact that he had to adapt his game um he's actually like a more offensive player who became a defensive-minded player um really really talented on the ball positional skills amazing leadership qualities phenomenal but you never hear this spoken or associated with him for what he did in european football if you even think about coming uh, with how he got to Oslo, the fight with, with Man United for his signature. It's a story. Um, but another player I think that was really underrated is Kolo Toure. Um, still holds, I think, the stats for appearances in the Premier League. But people don't talk about him in the same regard that they speak about maybe his brother Yaya. They play different positions, in all fairness. But this gentleman played top football at top clubs for a consistent period. But right now, Igalo for me. It feels like it's a lot of Nigerians all of a sudden when I think about it. But the person United, what he did at Watford with that team and then the way it was uh, addressed when he was coming back to United, this thing was almost kind of like United was doing a stopgap. Why would they go for this guy? I mean, like, I don't think people appreciate it what he was able to achieve that season at, at Watford, it was phenomenal. Um, but again, it's what the ratings are. But I think a fantastic question, and we could have a whole show just on that topic. Absolutely. And you've mentioned a lot of Nigerians and an Arsenal player in that. So it would be remiss 
not to go to the diplomat who's on the show. Kalechi, the mic is yours. Oh, <laughs> I know who that with diplomats. I mean, I think Francis just took everything from my mind. I don't know what else to say. You know, he has just said everything. He has said everything. I don't have any other thing to say because Obi Mikel spot on. One about twelve through one of the most decorated um, African players you can you can get. You know, and uh, really really underrated. You know, he said everything. I don't know what else to add. Then Kolotori, one. He's an, he was an invisible with Arsenal, an invisible with Celtic, played for Liverpool, played for Man City. I mean, Francis has carried the day. I don't have any other thing to add, to be honest. He has said everything. All good. I'll open it up. Anybody else? Got so just to quickly add on to John Obi Mikel, I agree. I think uh, a lot of people in, in the UK, for example, uh, I remember around the 2013 African Cup of Nations where Nigeria won. People, some of the people that I knew, they're saying, why is John Obi Mikel wearing a number 10 for Nigeria? Why is he playing? That? They didn't appreciate how good he was at the time. I and mean, they always thought that he was just a, a CDM and he just holds the ball. But yeah, very underrated player. I, I just, if I come in there, Zane, that, that's firstly, the question really stumped me, if I must be very honest. My mind, I, I just couldn't think of... The, the, how to answer this question and uh, as someone we discussed on the show last week who was John Obi because I felt that basically Chelsea killed his career if I'm being deadly honest I'm sure he's got many trophies on his table he could put down there and show made millions of uh, pounds yes but we're talking about a player who was an attack-minded player that went to Chelsea and all of a sudden became the new Makalele playing in that position why I don't know um because they just didn't rate his value and his ability. Uh, Ahmed, you mentioned a very good point. When he plays for the Nigerian national team, he wears the number 10. Uh, so that's how he actually views himself, as I am this creative guy. Uh, the other person I also thought of was Abu Trekha as well, when you, when you, when you mentioned that, that question, Sammy. Uh, when I was a, a, a young boy in, in South Africa, I'd never heard of him. But if you look at this guy's stats, his numbers, his achievements, and what he's done in the game, another undervalued person, yes. Cool. Nimlin, any thoughts to round up this question? Uh, I think they, they've, they've, they've summed it up quite well. I mean, no, no, nobody else really comes to mind. I, I think, I mean, just building on what Courtney said, a lot of the African players, and, and again, Coming back to your your podcast, it they often get played in in, in a position that doesn't show the, the full value or the full potential, and uh, it's almost they stereotyped or or pigeonholed into being the holding midfielder type, tough tackler type role. And uh, I think that 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 needs to change going forward. Otherwise, they're not going to get the best out of these African players. Well said, well said. So, Sammy, hopefully that gives you an answer to your absolutely good question. And I think this is a perfect chance in the to, to swing it to you. What what would you like to ask the panel? Sure. I think, I mean, obviously we live in an age now where you can pick up football highlights so easily, Twitter, social media, the likes of much more digital media than, than it was before. But I think a problem perhaps in, in South Africa and maybe throughout Africa is how do we attract crowds to more local football. I mean, uh, just having water cooler conversations or, or you meet people at a bar, you'll always see a bar packed for, let's say, an Arsenal and Chelsea game. But if Bafana's playing in a qualifier or 
you're watching a PSL game besides the Soweto derbies, um, they're not getting the crowds anymore. So it's almost as if we, we failed or South Africa had failed to build on the pull or the magic of the, the 2010 World Cup. So well, what what's the way to, to get crowds back in, considering that we're competing with so many other different brands of, of sport and, and you've got digital media on the go as well? That's a great question. I think it's very natural for us to maybe start with Courtney on the answer here. And then maybe Ahmed could come in with a perspective from Egypt where we don't suffer for fans at, at, at games, um, you know, particularly uh, the very low following that the teams have, that fans have with their clubs. I'd like to answer the question on two platforms uh, from when I was playing and then what I currently do in my day-to-day job. Uh, when I was playing, my team did absolutely nothing in regards to marketing the game in the community where the school, where the, the, the team played and outside of that community. We, we never visited a school. We never visited um, uh, anyone in the community except go to the stadium, play, and then go home. So um, if, if those 17, 18,000 people um, are not being affected uh, by the team more and the team uh, going out into the community and being part of the community as well, you're not going to attract people to the stadium, okay? Um, because there's an identity there. That is their community. You becoming part of it. The team is growing in that community. You've got to do more. Uh, also, there was no social media like we currently have now that really break down barriers very quickly uh, at that time. Um, like what I currently have, uh, I, I, the school I work in at the moment, we have West Ham come into our school to hold coaching clinics. We have Chelsea come into our school and hold co- coaching clinics. We have South End United, local teams within the area coming in, trying to get the children, uh, firstly, keep them active. That's the important thing. But then also uh, breeding their, their brand within the community. Now, that's how you break, that's how you start to infect the rest um, and, and, and get a better fan base. I think that's how uh, I would go about doing it. Yeah, so yeah, I think from, I mean, I'm not exactly too sure with the PSL because for me anyway, when I was much younger, I think the PSL was much, I mean, I'm talking about early 2000s. I think the PSL had a much stronger uh, media outlet. And I remember, for example, on FIFA, um, the game, for example, 2003 2004 the only african teams you could you can get on there were kaiser chiefs and the orlando pirates and for me that was you know i, I knew ahli zamalek and i knew orlando pirates and kaiser chiefs and i think more people around the world knew about kaiser chiefs and orlando pirates so i'm not really sure what's gone wrong since then and how maybe the demise of those the fan base has gone down i'm not too sure but one thing i do think was that a lot of um, North African sides and in general Africa were very slow to adapt to the new age of social media. And whereas a lot of the European clubs took it on very soon, it meant that these European clubs were able to target the, the African clubs. And you see now um, each club has got, you know, uh, you know you've got uh, Juventus has got an Arabic Twitter. They've got you know, an Indonesian Twitter account. They're targeting those places and winning over those fans. And it's starting to come a, a bit of a losing battle because once those fans, you know, 
you, you did say about Egypt has quite a strong follow, uh, loyal fan base, but most people in Egypt support Barcelona. They'd rather watch a Barcelona game than an Al Ahly game. They're still loyal to their club by blood because that's the way it works in Egypt. But I still think that you know they're falling behind there. Great perspective. Um, we'll open it up to anybody else. Anybody else got got thoughts on that? I I find it very interesting because I'm from the era where I used to take a taxi from Peter Maritzburg and go to FNB Stadium to go and watch, um, you know, Chiefs take on Pirates. Um, this is now back in the 90s. And then the World Cup came. In South Africa, particularly, there seemed to be this uptake in, in interest in football. But also, that was also the time of the big social media boom, but yet it's gone the opposite way. As social media has grown, football attendances have gone down because I find that my peers, whenever I go home, first thing I want to know is, ooh, who's currently playing this weekend? Then I can go to the stadium. And my peers are not necessarily going to, to the stadium because they don't feel like they are part of the culture because somehow, and I think in South Africa, while women are very involved as fans, but they don't necessarily feel safe and welcomed in the stadium. I, I mean, I grew up sitting in the extra strong, you know, singing all of those songs at Naturena or FNB Stadium. So, but I'm familiar with that. But I find that for a lot of young people, the under 30s, the under 40s, um, they're just not familiar with that environment and it just doesn't seem to appeal to them. So I think what football has done or has failed to do is to bring in this new crowd that speaks a different language and say to them, hey, you too can be a fan. So it seems to be more my uncles feel welcomed in the stadium because, you know, they've been there, they know the history of the club. But I think the young people just don't feel like it's for them. Even when social media campaigns are happening, I just don't feel like they are targeted. They simply are put out there as in, oh yeah, you know, you are a fan. But fans are not, um, are not fan bases are not homogenous. You know, they're not all exactly the same. So if you are going to appeal to a fan base, do appeal to the, the 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 women who have got children that they'd like to take to the soccer stadium on a Saturday um, on a Saturday afternoon, or you know, all the high school children. So I just think that over the years we've treated football fans as just they are football fans and haven't tailored um, marketing programs to individual groups, which that which has led to having just stagnation and this hasn't been the growth in terms of numbers and that's what you see when you look at the stadiums yeah i mean it's a mixture of everything but i also want to point out the fact that well if from a nigerian perspective obviously the south african league the Asian league these leagues are way better than us um they have the we don't have any infrastructure the league is i don't know it's just haphazard and you know yes the nff they are trying to reorganize and do stuff but it's still not good enough people still don't feel safe you know referees are still beaten when the home team loses a game that kind of thing still exists in nigeria so until they get that um their acts together then some fans can come in um again the pr the marketing the engagement of the younger folks needs to be done and in the, an act of government 
in the UK, games are not shown by three o'clock, between 2.30 and five, something like that, so that people can go to the stadiums and support their local clubs. There's a reason for that. And that has been able to, you know, boost the footballing economy here. So and there's an act of um, government or law uh, stating that, you know, maybe ban, no, I know DSTV, this is not because it's a South African company. I mean, DSTV, it's, a, it's also a Nigerian company. They are doing well in Nigeria. See, DSTV, no games at three o'clock, between three and five. Then, you see, the South African League will improve, the Nigerian League will improve, everything will improve. So talk to DSTV. <laughs> Kalechi touches on the points that I was going to raise because I think the proliferation of international or foreign leagues on television in our space is the single biggest contributing factor. Yes, our, we have non-existent marketing policies at the majority of our clubs. I come from a country in Cameroon where we used to have a robust local league. It is non-existent today. But I think the greatest reason for that is because People can watch TV, the experiential element of enjoying football. The proposition was never on the field or at the stadium. And people have found out that they can enjoy a better quality of experience of football at home or in a bar on TV. And on TV, the national leagues aren't even present in most of our African countries. And yet you can get a fantastic game at three o'clock. Sometimes I'm happier when I'm on a flight on a Friday in, into Cameroon. I know I can watch all the three o'clock games on the Saturday being here, which I can't do in London. So just like Kalechi was just saying, there's a reason why in that space, they say we can't show the games between these times to ensure that fans also participate. But also the clubs have made sure that the women and the children come into the games feel secure, the experience caters to everybody, the disabled, uh, even the hard of sight or hard of hearing. You go to Brighton and facilities that they've made available for people with different challenges. A lot of thought has gone into this, but in our space, our single greatest threat to our game is TV. And it's the games for foreign leagues that we have readily available to us. And that's why Ahmed can say that there are more Barcelona fans in Egypt than they are Al Ali, uh, maybe on a Saturday or on a Sunday, but that's because they can watch these games. They only know these players and can name their first 11 of the top of the heart. Because even here in Cameroon, we're watching Derby versus Swindon. If, if they have a camera, it's on TV, free to view. Um, so little effort from your part, you get to watch it. So our administrators also have to begin to think about how we have some level of protectionism to some extent, where we're able to protect our game, grow our game, and it has to be done in partnership. And it could be that we decide that South African League is the best we have on the continent, and that's the one we want to watch. But we don't even broadcast our local leagues to each other. So I don't know what's happening in neighboring Nigeria. I don't even know what... I know DSTV has the Kenyan League, and but they're not pushed in the same way as a, a game between Portsmouth and Southampton. People know about the intricacies of that derby more than they do, I don't know, uh, two teams like Canon and Tonnerre here in Yaoundé. Meanwhile, when I was a kid, there's 100,000 people going to the stadium and another 400,000 people across the city fighting with jest. But there was passion. There was a real engagement in the game. And I think that one element, TV and or media, dare I say, and how the foreign leagues are dominating our space, I think has been an abdication on the part of our administrators not to have the foresight that that would destroy our local game. 
I mean, two fantastic questions to open us up. And we could dedicate shows to these questions. That's how good they are, guys. So just want to want to thank you for all of that. And my final thought on this is I agree with everything that the panelists said in the sense of what can we do to protect our space, to champion our our teams and give them a space where, where they can play and we can celebrate them. But maybe we need to think creatively. Do we need to have our football on a Saturday or Sunday? Or can we move it to a Friday night? I remember growing up in South Africa in the 90s when Manning Rangers were the Durban team. And people in Durban, in the Chatsworth community, liked going to their games on a Friday night. So the league started to play games on a Friday night in, in, in the Premier Soccer League, which was a little bit of unheard of. Um, because the fans would go, there was a slot on TV, you weren't competing with other leagues internationally, and maybe there's a way we can do that. The reason why the NFL on Monday Night Football, for I think it's over 20, 25 years now, is the most viewed show on a Monday night is because they went in at a time where they said, when are the ratings the lowest? We're going to showcase one of our games. And now Monday Night Football in the NFL... It's a ritual. It's uh, it's it's such nothing can beat it in that time slot. It's on so much so that you know shows like CSI um, and Breaking Bad would not even show their shows in that point because they didn't want to take the NFL on. So maybe there's a way we, as 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 Africans on the continent, can think how can we showcase our games in a space when maybe people want to consume that. Uh, and I know I take everyone's point on TV, but maybe there's a way we can work it out in schedules where people can watch and go to stadiums and have that fan experience. So that's where... Sorry, go on, Ahmed. I just also add one point, and, and this goes back to a conversation, a debate we had a uh, couple of weeks ago about how do we keep our best players on the continent? I think when you, our best players are playing in Europe, then what the attraction is to watch those players. If people want to watch Sadio Mane, Watch Marcelo, Mares. So, you know, who's who's in the continent? Who are the stars in the continent? Because uh, I mean, I don't think there's that many big stars anymore left in the continent that people want to go and watch. You have to create that by keeping the talent in the leagues first. Absolutely, and that's the whole idea. Is if we can hold them on for longer, like Neymar stayed at Santos, you have something to watch and to celebrate. And also, on the back end of careers, can we get players to come in, like you see in South America? Tevez still has an affinity with going back and playing for his childhood club, Boca Juniors. And that's where I, I think we've not fully exploited that. Do you know what I mean? Why does Drogba have to go to Galatasaray? And they still, fans and diehards, they will still say he's probably the most gifted player they've signed and had. Why can't we create a space where Drogba says, you know what, I'm going to go do my final season at Orlando Pirates or Sundowns because I've always wanted to experience the Premier Soccer League and for my legacy, win an African Champions League. So um, I have a Pan-African League, my brother. Exactly, which was a show. And if you haven't listened to it, just hit our archives. You will love that show. It was, it was one that elicited a lot of debate and a lot of great perspective. But now, guys, we're going to do... Zen. Sorry, Zen, Sorry. I have to say this. I think, I think the team needs to do a lot of work on the offense. And I'm not talking about... When I say teams uh, like uh, what uh, Sammy was talking about earlier, you know, you, 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 if you are not doing work on your fans in order to attract them to the stadium, if you're not trying to 
widen the net to get everybody, your numbers are going to dwindle. So I, I think the clubs need to work harder at going to get their fans to come back to the stadium. There's a combination of actors, not just one thing. It's multiple things that we also just mentioned. The best players leave as well. So the, the attraction of going to the stadium is, is a percentage there has dropped as well. The, um, too much of one particular thread of football maybe being shown in a country. Like I know, I, I some days, I live in, um, in England. I, I can phone guys in South Africa and they are watching games I can't see in England. The accessibility of, of football is so easy in, in South Africa. So easy. You can watch almost any Premier League game and yet in England you can't. Um, so, uh, very good question. I think it's just got a lot of answers there. Um, Courtney, you did your best makalele there. You came in and you kicked me broken as I was coming in. But um, but no, fantastic question, Nimlin. Great debate. I'm now getting the quiz back up and running, so get your pens ready. There's three questions that are coming your way. If you watch the show, this is easy. If you watch... If you watch the show, you can't watch our show. If you listen to our show, you'll find this really easy. So let me get it up. All right. Question number four. Who is the football player who was interviewed on this podcast that has incredibly original anecdotes about his time playing in the Bundesliga? So which player that we interviewed on the podcast has incredibly original stories about his time in the Bundesliga. Question number five. We showcased Egyptian legend Mido on our show, and we asked him who the best player he ever played with. Who was that player? And we know he's played with some legends. Question number six. We interviewed a football legend on this podcast who was described as Nelson Mandela's hero. Who was that football player? All right, guys, that's six out of 10 questions. We're just past halfway on the table and in the podcast. Um, I think I'm gonna, gonna give you guys some answers and then you can tell us how many questions you've got right, how many you've got wrong. So I will go through um, some of the answers. The answer to question number one was Burundi. They were the league that continued to keep playing, um, but eventually stopped their league due to upcoming elections in the country. The answer to number two is Egypt, and they've won seven AFCON titles. The answer to question number three about Peter Osaze Odomwingi's dual heritage is he's half Nigerian and he's half Russian. Question number four is about the player who spoke about incredible anecdotes about the Bundesliga. Out of interest, has any, does anyone know the answer to this? Who knows who that is? Does anyone want to put their hand up and tell me? That's Sami Kufo. Kelechi, go on. Sami Kufo. Sami Kufo. It's a good guess, but it is wrong. <laughs> anyone got the answer? To anyone? It was a guy by the name of Benny McCarthy. I got him. I got him. I got, I, I got, I got him. Can you see Benny? I got yes. him. Benny. I, I didn't want to say just in case I was completely wrong. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, it was the way you were saying, I was thinking Bundesliga and then Bundesliga. I, I, 
the league in Cape Town. I had it, Benny. I had him. So the Bundesliga is popularly the German football league, but the Bundesliga is the unofficial gangster league on the Cape Flats where Benny McCarthy grew up playing. And he, if you haven't listened to it, it's the first big interview we did on the podcast. It's the second episode. And he tells you how these gangsters um, used to organize football. And he used to make more money playing in these uh, tournaments that they set up on the Cape Flats. He used to earn more there than as a semi-professional. So did anybody else get Benny McCarthy other than Courtney? I, I did, but it was a complete guess. So uh... <laughs> Amazing. Well done. I was like, I'm sure he didn't play in Germany, but yeah. that's the only other player. I <laughs> was like, Benny. Exactly. And I wrote Benny. And then the next person I wrote, no, no. <laughs> Sorry, tell me again. What did you write next one, Francis? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, Mino played with the likes of Ibrahimovic. He played with Drogba. Um, but he said the best player he ever played with was Francesco Totti. Can you believe it? I can believe it because we all remember what Totti was like. Absolutely amazing. And the player who was described as Nelson Mandela's hero, Sammy, do you know who that is? Absolutely. It has to be the enigmatic, legendary Lucas Radek. Yay! There we go. So let's let's see halfway on the table how we're doing. Courtney, how many uh, how many have you got right? I have five. I, I made a mistake with Zlatan and Mido. Okay. Nimlin, how many did you get out of six? Ah, uh, just three so far. <laughs> okay, you got three wins. Um, Francis, <laughs> five. Look at that, rocking it. Ahmed, four. Oh, I uh, I went for Zlatan, and I didn't know the last uh, one. So. Not listening to the podcast, mate. Not paying you enough in that mode. Um <laughs> Sammy, I have three. Three. That's respectable. Kalechi, three. Three. Oh, 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 it's tied at the top. So right now we have Courtney and Francis at the top with five. Um, Ahmed's with four, if I'm correct, and the rest are with three. So it's going to be great. We've got four more questions. Uh, no one's being relegated because this is a closed league, something that Francis likes. So no one's going to get relegated. So don't be afraid. Take your chances. Um, and we'll, 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 we'll sprinkle a few more questions in. Um, but I'm going to be a little selfish now because I wanted to actually ask Kalechi two questions. I hope the panel doesn't mind. Kalechi, I would like to know, firstly, who is the greatest African player you've seen play at Arsenal, uh, whether that's live or whether that's in the history of the club or whether that's from afar? And secondly, who you think the greatest African player we've seen in the Premier League? So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Is it the um, of African heritage or just African player? It could be of African heritage too. We'll open it up to that. Okay, I mean, obviously, uh, of African heritage, I can decide to give you two answers. Of African heritage, I'll go for um, Vieira. You know, uh, man was just a fantastic baller, won a lot of trophies uh, for Arsenal, camped us well, uh, led the team well from the front, led us into battles, and. Uh, since he left, we've not been able to um, replace him, to be honest. So, in that aspect, I'll say Patrick Vieira. Um, my favourite um, uh, player, 
I, I'll just have to be biased. You understand? I have to say Kano uh, Wampo, you know, because Kano uh, changed things for Arsenal in Africa and the way people view the Premier League in general. He brought a lot of fans that way. Um, he's, uh, he, and he did well in Portsmouth, did well in West Brom. Everything that he did in uh, the English game, uh, he did really well. Um, and he said uh, the best we've seen in the Premier League, yeah? Uh, just, just leave it for Kano. Kano is, Kano is okay. Kano. <laughs> can you give us, can you sing us a, a song that would have been sung in praise of Kanu or the Super Eagles? Like, is there like a song that Nigerian fans love to pay homage to Kanu with? Um, not really. We just call him his nickname Papilo, and there's a there's a peak milk advert that goes Papilo. One day I know say you go make us proud. That's what people keep telling him. One day I know you will make us proud. So that's it. Just Papilo, Papilo. Just keep praising his name. And then in Arsenal, it's just Kanu. And then he thought we were booing him. No, it's Kanu. You know, that's what he thought. <laughs> he just call him Kanu, and that's it. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. We'll, 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 we'll open it up now to a few more questions. Um, so we'll let Nimlin go with the next question. So, so I think uh, it's a bit of a, I mean, a, it's a subjective one, but across generations, we've had the Pele's, Maradona's. And, uh, I mean, you've, you've got now Ronaldo's and Messi's, always regarded as the best of their generation. But, I mean, a question here has... Do footballers have it easier these days? So, when I say that in terms of much more technology goes into equipment, uh, the football seem lighter, the training you can analyze every movement from how the player is kicking the ball to how many expected goals he can produce and assists and whatever. So, do footballers have it easier these days compared to the footballers of, of yesteryear? Yeah. Cool. I think we'll 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 give it to the the old timer on the panel. So we'll let Francis hit this up first. He even unmuted himself, as I said, old timer. And then we'll let uh, <laughs> and then we'll let the former player Francis go. I mean, Courtney go. <laughs> and then we'll open it up to everyone. I'm not vying for any spirit awards today, <laughs> but uh, I leave that to Courtney, brother. <laughs> you alone. <laughs> I've got the great hands to match yours, Zing. So I have some, some, some suggestions. Uh, but um, it's I, I, I really, really love your question, Nimlin. But my hesitation in responding: we as fans or consumers of a product, the marketing is so intent, intense, where it leaves us with so much information that we are able to judge almost for a, from a very superior position. So, like, uh, what? I don't know whether we, we had the same kind of information on Zico, for example, but we were amazed at what he did. But it was usually more out of surprise because like when Pele turned up at the World Cup, it was the fact that people didn't know of him that made it not, dare I say, easier for him to do the magic that he did. Now we always know like when the young talent emerges, usually first season is the period where they shine sometimes. And then you're looking at it and you're thinking, oh, how come? And usually they say it's because the defenders don't know them yet. They don't know how to play against this guy. Then the analytics team go away. They study the movements. They study the runs the player likes. This is not even just his team. This is the opposition teams. And then they're able to build games that nullify or at least 
reduce the impact of this player. So I think the availability of information makes it harder instead for these new generation superstars, dare I say, to impose their will. Eden Hazard turned up at Real Madrid and was supposed to set the league alight because he was unpredictable. And yet somehow, teams were kind of, they kind of knew what Eden Hazard was about. So you can do it. And I think that's why the Messi's and the Ronaldo's are amazing because for them now, you have the stats, you have the vids, you have all the analytics and the metrics. And yet somehow, they're still banging 40-45 a season and still past you, even though you know they're going to do it. So that's why the bar is just slightly higher. But I think it, it presents more a challenge than it does an opportunity for the new age players. Mr. Freeze. Um, lovely question. I just think that uh, the, the simple answer is it's, it's more difficult now. And a lot in, in um, the answer that Francis has just given. You are looking at a time where there is so much information downloaded on, on, on players at the moment. You can pick up absolutely anything in preparation for your game next week. Um, and that will allow you to be better prepared for who you're going to be facing. And, and these are some of the points that Francis brought up. This is still no doubting um, that uh, it, it was difficult um, in the past. The, 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 there's also smaller things. Yes, the balls are better. The, the pitches, firstly. I was watching uh, Napoli play in 1982 uh, when Diego Maradona was at, at Napoli in Italy. My God, the pitches are cabbage patches. Uh, let's be honest. And, and the balls look like medicine balls. They, but th they were geniuses at that period who were able to move with the ball, play well, and still produce beautiful football. Um, uh, in these times, especially for professional sportsmen, with the social media comes also the trappings as well. You know, there's the camera phones, which make uh, footballers can't do anything anymore uh, because they, they are so exposed to the world. Um, so I, I think on the field, what we just spoke about now, uh, Francis and the points I've added, off the field, social media, I think it's more difficult now for a footballer. Yeah, I mean, just I think um, the whole pitch situation, I, I, the way I see it is I think it's, uh, in terms of, Courtney, you might be able to add on this as well, in terms of coaching and training and the nutrition, the assistance you get from clubs now, I think it's easy to, 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 you know, to become a player, but it's that top level that you talk about, the Messi and Ronaldo, that it's, that it's harder. But, I mean... You know, some some of the players who who you know, ten, who were even playing you know ten fifteen years ago, they they were playing on on horrible surfaces. The Egyptian goalkeeper Al Hadri said that he didn't have gloves until he made the national team. You know, they're playing without gloves. It's there's a lot of these difficulties that these players had, and and, and when they got injured, the medical you know facilities weren't as good back then. So I think it's now easy to become a, a professional footballer, but to become that top top level is a bit harder. That's how I'd see it. Well, I think um, it's, uh, like they've all said, it's easier to become a footballer. But with the advent of social media, some of the vices we used to see then, like uh, mental abuse, mental health abuse and racism, have now become widespread. Now, uh, before, maybe even if you were racially abusing a player, you do it in the stadium, you can't see the player outside to do it. 
But now you can target the player, you see the case with um, Ian Wright, to get to racist abuse directly to his inbox. So you can, they are now prone to different... Uh, yes, it's easier to become a professional, but I think it's become a bit more dangerous. I'm just going to add something to this. I think that the modern day footballer is also more flexible. Um, and I'm just going to make a very small comparison and then uh, to the time when I played. I remember in the season we won the league. Now, we used to play football in Durban. Now, anybody who is of uh, that, that knows the area, Sammy will tell you, uh, Nimden will tell you, the area in Durban Friday nights is normally very, very hot. Hot. The, 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 the humidity in Durban is unlike anywhere else I've experienced in my life. But we used to wet the pitch, something terrible. It was almost as if it rained in Durban. So the teams that would come from Joburg, the teams that would come from the Free State, the teams that would come, they would come with uh, molded studs. And, and, and that used to be an advantage. We, we'd all be wearing six studs. Now, that is in the past. Uh, there was no information uh, for those players to be prepared for that until they got to the game. But now the, flex the football is so flexible. Multiple pairs of boots available at the touch of their fingers. John Terry, I had a game wore four pairs of boots in one game. Every game his whole career. Before the game, a pair of boots. First half, a pair of boots second half a pair of boots and then when they were cooling down another pair of boots so you know um it's it's so much more the, the the current footballer is more prepared more flexible but is also in a more demanding era thank you for that guys i think there's a lot of good answers on that um i'd like to give sammy an opportunity to to put a question out there sammy what do you have for us I think we all know that COVID-19 pandemic is wrecking havoc and, and no one seems to really know what the future will hold. I think um, CAF announced that they were, um, they were doing a 10.8 million relief grant for the 58 member states um, to basically help support has been affected by the pandemic. And I guess I would like to know, how would you guys like to see the, the, this money being spent by the member states themselves? Sure, I think I can start by offering up a thought before we open it up to the panel. One of my big concerns out of the impact on COVID-19, particularly on um, football clubs, be they in Europe, be they in South America, be they in Africa, is the impact on the gig economy, right? So it's the people standing outside stadiums who are selling food, who are sealing jerseys, um, drinks, caps, whatever it might be. So my, my concern is particularly in countries where you have people who are reliant on those weekly sales uh, to make money that they, they are the most impacted. So that's always been my concern. But with the money that is going to national associations on the continent, I would hope that they are thinking not only about their premier domestic competition, they're thinking about the lower league teams. They are thinking about the teams in the second division, the semi-professional teams that particularly rely on those gate takings because they don't have the big broadcast money that comes in. 
They're thinking about the development of the women's game. And we've seen Africa make huge strides with our teams at the World Cup last year. And they're obviously getting $10.8 million um, from CAF, if I'm correct. And that's off the back of half a million from FIFA that they've also given to national associations all over the world. And I would hope administrators are sitting there going, how can we divide the money that one, we can keep our own operation at Safa House or at the Nigerian Football Federation going, but also how we can pump that money in to those who need it the most. And while I accept they won't see that role in the gig economy, I would hope they would be doing it to support the lower league teams that will be on the cusp of collapsing and also keeping things like the women's game invested because we don't want to lose momentum on that front. Football is for everyone. And the beauty of growing the women's game is we're just giving people who have been in the shadows for too long an opportunity to play, coach, referee, and support. So my hope is the money goes that way. And I'll open it up to anybody else who's got thoughts. Um, I think you, you make a very good point. Well, in particular to this question, I think it's a very, very profound question because what I'm thinking about it is the amount of money. Now, 10.8 million broken across 54 countries comes in at about $190,000. It's toppings, to be brutally honest, when it's going to a federation. So there's very little you can do with it to make an impact unless it's targeted. So in my opinion, the only thing that you can target is the professional game because the amateur structure, in as much as it's important, it's still uh, it, it's sustained by the professional teams being in place or the professional leagues. So you need to be able to take money and give it to administrations or clubs or structures that can use it wisely. And here I think it's the sustainability of the employees. And the employees in that space is the players. Because in our space, in the professional game, too few leagues are able to pay them decent wages. The average uh, across our, our sub-Saharan African space, bar three leagues, earns $150 a month. They're not able to make that and haven't been able to do so for the last four, four months through the pandemic. They don't know when their leagues are resuming whilst we're looking at what's happening in Europe with uh, confinement plans and, and restart plans. We don't have those kind of operations yet in our spaces. So we're supposed to be looking at what Burundi did and say, are we just going to go and say, let's go, let's roll with this? But the only people who will give life to our football will be the professional setup. So you either take this money, which is 109 or after the administrators pull out their bits, let's say you're left with 100,000 left, it needs to be targeted. Otherwise, if you try to do too much or too little, you have no impact and then it becomes a waste. When I, when I first heard the question, I thought, wow, what a generous thing to do. Uh, the, that amount of money, absolutely fantastic. But then to find out that is the amount of money for everyone, then that's just too little money. I, I, I would say rather hold on to it. It's too little money. More money is needed for the things that you've just spoken about, which sometimes gets overlooked in the game. You know, the, the vendors who are outside, you take into account absolutely everyone that's part of that football family. Then you look at the players, 
who are not in the top leagues as well and, and, and helping them sustain their salaries, that amount of money is too little. Um, I didn't know uh, that um, it, it was, uh, I, I actually thought it was that amount per state, per organization. I didn't know it was so little. I mean, it, 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 I mean that it's nothing per country and I think it's not gonna make a big impact to any of the big clubs. So the, the, the focus, are, and I don't know what they will do with it, but it should really go to the clubs in the second, the third, the fourth divisions who the players might have not been paid. I, I remember Francis, you mentioned a couple of weeks ago, that some players just haven't been paid in, in, in their respective leagues, and that's where it really should go. You know, and Fifth Pro have been making a really strong case for this across our space. And this is professionals across board, women's game, men's game, semi-pro, because most of our players across Africa have semi-pro contracts. It's the way they get out of the ability to have to provide other than the basic, you know. And yet this, it's also... you. The structures of our leagues mean that too few, South Africa, Egypt being the two major exceptions, Tunisia as well, when you're looking at how their leagues operate, um, where you have deeper pockets and better structures, this is really exposing the challenge we have in our league football across the continent. They are not viable leagues. We don't have going into them that they deserve just for the basic things, to be able to do what it is that you're suggesting, that that gig economy that is so dependent on it continues to exist. They're just looking for new marketplaces. So the new marketplaces now are the market. So the lady who on Saturday was focused on making sure she made some homemade cocktail or something, and then her kids assisted her with selling 200 little bottles of these brew, which sustained them for two, three weeks, now they're looking for new places where they can sell them. But then at the same time, you're telling people they should, there should be social distancing, they shouldn't be mixing. They, so you're looking for these new... So they will present themselves for those people. But for the game itself to remain intact, it needs serious investment. And the investment cannot come from the administrators. It cannot, because it's not a charity. So it's not the job of CAF or FIFA to provide the entirety of the funds for it. We need to be looking at sustainable models for our domestic leagues, deeper and better entrenched versions that will allow us to ride these kind of challenging periods so we too can present the world with solutions. The Germans were strong, hard hit by, by Corona, and yet they proved to be one of the first European leagues to say, we have a format that we will roll out. And everybody else watched them and then said, we'll try to copy yours. The French were quick to already cancel their league, and now they're regretting it, and they're, they're already having conversations about reviewing that decision. But Africa, we need to stop following, and we need to be digging deeper and finding solutions. So coming up with a 10 million aid to split amongst 50 plus nations doesn't do anything for anybody. That really changes anything, other than possibly line the pockets of a few individuals. That's the sad truth. Thank you, guys. I, I know we're, we've sort of running over, as we always do in this podcast, which is amazing. But I'm going to throw a few more quiz questions, and then I'm going to end it with uh, one, more, one more question to everyone out there. So, Sammy, thank you again for that question. Um, it's great. And again, we, we could dedicate a show to it. So hopefully that's given you a good snippet of everyone's thoughts. So now we do questions seven through nine. Get your pads out. Question seven. Name the only team to go undefeated 
at the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. The only team that went undefeated at the 2010 World Cup in Africa. Our tournament on home soil. Question number eight. Mohamed Abutrika is arguably the greatest African never to play in Europe. He stayed loyal to Al Akhli. However, he did briefly play outside of his home country. Which country did he go and play domestic football in? If that is not a gimme for you, Ahmed Yusuf, I don't know what is. Um, <laughs> question nine. If anyone gets this wrong, they're banned from the show. Courtney Fries received an award for his over 35 team in Essex. What was the name of the trophy? I'm not answering that. <laughs> I'm not answering that. Courtney, it's in the quiz. You can choose not to. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get my trophy. <laughs> if you get that wrong, guys, you're not a loyal listener. Your membership is disbarred. No Nando's. Okay, Courtney uh, is joining us again, but I'll go through questions seven and eight, and then we'll get Courtney to reveal number nine. So who has any thoughts on number seven? Does anybody know the answer about the undefeated team? Ahmed, go for it. I, I know, I, I'm pretty sure I know the answer. Does anyone else want to? Is, is it New Zealand? The All Whites from New Zealand. They oh uh, three games, a 1-1 draw with Slovakia, same score for Italy, before grittily holding out for a 0-0 draw with Paraguay in Group F. Jeez. They didn't even do the haka. So, you know, the all-whites did amazingly there from New Zealand. Um, Abu Trike, uh, Ahmed, which country did he go to? The Arab Emirates. Correct. He went and played in Abu Dhabi for... Oh, yes. That's exactly it, in the UAE. And Courtney, you have the honours of doing number nine. The floor is yours. Uh, the committed award goes to Courtney Fries. Committed award. I don't think there's ever been a trophy like this ever issued to anyone in the history of football. Firstly, it looks like a diamond shape on the top of, uh, I don't know what this is. Uh, honestly, it, it looks like something that should be on a lady's finger. And then, uh, a uh, yeah, I... It's not, and I've tried to throw it away three times. I've tried to throw it away, and my wife keeps keeping it in the house. I don't know why. <laughs> Courtney, two things. One, um, that is a great award and a great trophy, and I will accept the answer. Committed award, Spirit Cup, Team Man, I'll accept anything in that bracket. And I know that Francis organizes his own Best of Africa Awards here in London, where we honor African players playing in the Premier League and in Europe. And if we so happen to get an invite, I'm going to bring that award for Courtney so we can have you present it to him or whoever wins the main award, Francis. I think that would be that would be a golden moment. We'll get Kalechi to come over and present Courtney. Only, only if he sings for me first. Only if he sings for me first. He has to bring the, the, the shake. The, the, the literal, uh, it looks like a, a goat's hoof. I don't know what that thing is. You got a kelechi, but as long as I, there you go. <laughs> I thought it was 
we're gonna hold Francis to this. Kalechi is gonna come and present this award to Courtney at the next Best of Africa Awards. We're all in, we're all in. Thank you very much. Uh, please, Francis, don't do that to me. Francis, <laughs> you have to begin Sammy not to, because Sammy will also be the one who will introduce the award before Kelechi comes. <laughs> <laughs> I will happily do the honors. All right, guys, let's take let's take a tally. Um, so scores up, and we'll go around the houses. There's still one more question I'll ask right at the end of the pod. But Courtney, let's start with you. How many out of nine do you have correct? Five. Five. Wow. Uh, Nimlin. Uh, six. Whoa. Well done, Nimlin. Well done. Seven. Whoa, Ahmed. Seven. Whoa, Sammy. Four. Let's see. <laughs> Three. I'm the last. <laughs> Don't worry, no one's relegated. No one's relegated here. So it's going to go to the final round between Francis Ahmed and Nimlin could slip to the top two. We could, we could have, a, we could have a tie three ways, but we'll see how that goes, guys. I hope you don't mind, but I am going to ask the last question if that's okay, and I'm going to, I'm going to phrase this to everyone out there. In football and in life, you have moments that are highlights and. One that stands out to me is I remember when um, Barcelona won the Champions League in 2011. And I was hosting a get-together um, here in London. It was my first few months out here. I was studying and had a bunch of people at my house. And, I mean, before the game, I said, we've got the trophy. This United team cannot stack to this Barcelona team. And I was given a lot of abuse on social media for it. I said, we'll win 3-1 and they'll be lucky to get one. And it was just, I remember when Messi scored and I got so gassed, I nearly passed out. Like, it was just a beautiful moment. I remember it so well. And I think about football and what formulated for me one of my favorite memories ever. I remember the AFCON in 1996 in South Africa. I'm like an English fan who only remembers the 1966 World Cup, because for me, that was such a special tournament. And I was thinking, what was my highlight from 1996? Was it Tovi and Mandela with the trophy? Was it fans at Soccer City? Was it, um, what, what, what was the moment that, that, that stood out to me that really sort of gave me goose pimples, goose flesh, as they sometimes say? And for me, I'll never forget the opening game against Cameroon at FNB Stadium when South Africa won 3-0. And one of the images, sorry, this isn't to go at you actually, Francis, but I remember it because the entire 1995 Rugby World Cup winning squad was on the sidelines. And they went out there to support their South African football brothers. And it was this moment of, we are all behind this team. Everyone is behind this team. And 
We probably, in my mind, won't have a more significant victory than the 1996 AFCON team. And I know we talk about the Rugby World Cup in 95. But for 96 to see black and brown people going out there and doing something so positive for the country in a team that was so representative, beating Cameroon, you know, okay, we lost to Egypt. That's okay. Um, we, 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 we went through a, a, a very good Ghana team. I mean, it was just, it was incredible. And that, 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 that opening game for me and the jersey that I'm wearing, it just makes me proud to be South African. It makes me proud to be African. It makes me proud to be a football fan. It was that moment for me when football meant more than just a game. So that lives with me. So I'm going to go around the horn and just ask you guys what your favorite football memories are. And maybe Nimlin, I'm, I'm going to start with you um, and then we'll, we'll bring everybody else in from there. Sure. I mean, I think just to build on that, I mean, obviously a bit of bias being being the South African. I think when they stepped out at, at 98 for that first game, yeah, not not so memorable because, yeah, sure, we lost, you know, but, but, but yeah, that, that goes on. Uh, but I think even probably before that, maybe in a, in the African context, was probably George Weir winning that the the world, winning the the World Football uh, of the Year award. I mean, just to to show, and I mean, he played a, a, at a time in Italy. I mean, I'll never forget that goal he scored for for Milan against. I think it was Verona from a corner kick, and they were defending a corner kick, and he ran the length of the field and. I think it just showed almost, I can't say paved the way, but I mean, it just showed that the the talent and, and gave us hope that, look, this is African African footballers can can rise to the top. Yeah. Brilliant. Ahmed, let, let's bring you in there. That's a lovely memory, by the way, Namlin. Yeah, I think uh, for, for me personally, um, uh, it was actually in 2018 when um, he qualified for the World Cup because before that it had been such a long time and it was that one thing that was always, you know, that was always like that, that thing in our heart that really upset us when we didn't qualify in 2010 um, very tightly against Algeria. Then when Ghana beat us in uh, 20, 2014 qualification, it was always that one thing. And I mean, there was a lot of joy from winning Africa of Nations, but it was that thing, we just wanted it. And um, that game, we went... We, you know, we were, we were winning, we conceded with four minutes to go, a really bad defence, and that's where you reach rock bottom, and then it's that emotional switch of being, you know, losing all hope to to being in the World Cup in the space of minutes, and that's why I think football in general is just, you know, when people say, oh, you know, it's, it's, it, it, I understand why people like football, it's because of that emotional switch, you know. I'm, I'm a big Spurs fan, and I can tell you, uh, in the in the last year in the Champions League qualification, the most emotional I've ever um you know I've ever felt was in that semi final or in that quarter final when Man City had had scored that goal and I was walking out and then it was like actually no they we've actually you know we've done it. it it's that emotional switch and for me that's why um I, I you know from an African perspective that that game um when we qualified for the World Cup was just the best thing. For me. Some of the most fun I've ever had is in Bloemfontein watching Egypt play Brazil in a Confed Cup game, three-three, and then Brazil put them four-three in the end. It was that, and again, that—that's uh, you know—that was actually one of the, the games that I was going to say, and it's it's one of those games where people say you can't celebrate a loss, but we celebrated that loss because of the way that we played and 
how we came back from was it three one down, and it that, it was one of the best Brazilian sides. You know, had everyone and Mourinho was was yeah. brilliant. Um, and again, that's, that's one of the kind of main, iconic games for Egypt. And, and then we went on to beat Italy with the world champions the game after. Yeah, great, great times. Great times. Sammy, the rose amongst the many thorns. I think, um, so going back to 1996 was definitely special for me because um, I think having watched 95, Yes, I was all in it and I was excited about us winning, but 96 was the population, the majority of South Africans just standing together as one. And looking at that team, I mean, those players were some of my favorite players growing up. And we just, we stood so tall in a world. And, and, and I think what was special about 96 was um, I had stood there and, and, and I had been very fearful having seen my entire family go to the polls. I wasn't sure whether they'd be safe or whether they'd be harmed. And to have then 95 on the back of that was pathetic. But to have 96 for me felt like we had truly overcome something something that was that would have destroyed us as a nation. So it was that validation of hopes and dreams and i mean i always think back all of those players were naturally tall in stature so there was, it was so significant in in where we stood in africa so for me 96 has to be that moment where i truly felt that we as south africans could do anything and achieve anything we ever wanted despite of our sometimes very painful history Amen, sister. So well articulated. My heart's pumping right now. Um, Kalechi, go on. Tell us your memory. Well, I think I have two vivid ones. Um, the first one will be uh, Yekini's uh, goal celebration at the World Cup in you know, '94. You know, in fact, that whole game. In fact, you know, the 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 Amokachi celebration. Everything about the whole game. You know, in fact, last week I actually recreated some of those goals in my room. You know, <laughs> you know. And uh, it was recreate one for us now. Um, where is that? <laughs> I don't know what to use. Go, 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 go. So, yeah, kid, you know, he's in the net. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, nice. I like the kid thing as well. <laughs> and then, um, I remember the Olympics '96 as well. Like, oh, I know, golden goal. I think that was the first or second time. I think it was the second time. Was ever used after Olivia Bierhoff, I think. But that moment when we beat Brazil, went to the final to beat Argentina, coming from behind in both games, that was the turning point for me for Nigerian football. You know, that, those memories can never die. You know, Kalechi, when you talk about 94, I've said it on previous podcasts. I remember watching that game when you guys got knocked out against Italy. And I was going, like, we're all Nigerian today. <laughs> I remember yeah. going extra time and just the oh geez how could we you know like I felt Nigerian for for a second and yeah the Olympics that Olympic team you might or might not be aware was the team that inspired Peter Osaze Odomwingi to want to play for Nigeria wow. and his dad used to give him the tapes of that 1996 team yeah. that he used to watch while he was growing up in Russia mm -hmm. and he was like telling all his friends like 
I love Russia. I feel Russian. It's my motherland, but I want to play for my fatherland. Uh, let's end with Courtney and then Francis. Well, for me, Zane, it, it, it's an iconic moment is the 98 FCON final where we lost to Egypt. Um, there was so much going into that final. We got to the final. Um, we thought we would win. Uh, we had these big players in our team, Benny McCarthy, Lucas Rodebe, Quinton Fortune had just come from Europe and come back into the team. And we lost and we lost comfortably. But the moment that really sits with me is that when the players walked off and had gone to the ground, Quinton Fortune was sitting on the field, sobbing his heart out. Now, this is a guy that's going back to play in Europe, you know, after this game. But just how much it meant to him. Because there was a lot of questions about, uh, are these guys coming from Europe? Are they really going to feel for our team? And I remember Jomo walking back across the pitch because Quinton was a left-sided midfielder. He played on the left. Jomo going to get him. The man was broken sitting on the floor. And that was such an iconic moment for me, you know, because it, it, it just showed he, he, his passion for the, for the country. Yes, we lost the game, but someone has to lose. Okay. Uh, we, we, were hammered. <laughs> yeah, we, we were hammered. And then, listen, th that is one of my most iconic. But the other one I'm very sorry is got nothing to do with, uh, with uh, African football. What Liverpool did against Barcelona at Anfield last season. I'm no, sorry. No, no, we don't talk about it. We don't talk about I, it. I cannot. I, I don't understand it. It is something um, just un undescribable. You, you can't put it into words. We went from nowhere, somewhere, against a, not a good team, not a great team, an unbelievably talented team. Dismantle them. If you told me Barcelona would lose 4 0 without scoring a goal, that's not impossible. Courtney, it's it's a shame. It's a shame it was only the second best comeback of that semi-final round. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, something happened uh, a few days later in Amsterdam. Uh, um, you know, uh, which was also wonderful. <laughs> I thought it was wonderful, but my goodness gracious, uh, those are my iconic moments: Barcelona, Liverpool, and then just the fact of what it what it meant to Quinton Fortune as a South African after a loss for us um, during a very good tournament in Morocco. Well said, Courtney. Francis, the final word to you before we ask the last quiz question. Well, speaking of comebacks, it would be unfair of me not to also speak of a, a comeback in 99 against Bayern Munich where um, we were getting buried, but for a certain... Um, um, Ole at the wheel, but let's leave that to one side. We've all had comebacks. Arsenal, uh, well, sorry, Kelly. Don't worry. For me, um, my my moment uh, is kind of games uh, in 1990. First game against Argentina for Cameroon. This is my first recollection of really like engaging with a game. Uh, prior to that, it was kind of like, yeah, secondhand knowledge or whatever. But this was you like watching something, and I remember the game beginning before the game doing the warm up, and Diego Maradona at this time.
takes a ball and rolls it up onto his shoulders and he's pretty much like juggling a ball along his shoulders and walking the length of the pitch. And you're thinking, what will these guys do to us? You know, and it felt like it was the whole of Africa being put on show. So in that one World Cup, I saw Africa be able to put its good foot forward and Oman be header beating a fantastic Argentinian team, but almost feeling like the world still conspired to ensure that there was only so far we could go. And I remember when England then invited Cameroon to come and play because there was all this little bit of talk afterwards about uh, the referee was lenient and they kind of let England beat Cameroon. And so there's always been this, you didn't really beat Cameroon on an evil uh, plane, so to speak. And they kept inviting Cameroon to come and play. And I attended that one of those games and Roger Miller and co were in gloves and it was middle of winter. And again, at the hotel, I remember one of the guys saying, if only they'd let us play them in the hot tropics, they'd get a right flogging. But they know they can't beat us there. So they bring us into the freezing cold. So those moments for me encapsulate my passion for football. It's a phenomenal game but it speaks to our humanity. But in a really honest fashion, it speaks to the challenges that we have as a society, where the rules come in sometimes and they're bent to almost make it slightly more challenging for us. And so we must do better at every moment we have. Be prepared to work just a little bit harder, but most importantly, remember our dignity all through and never give that part. Amen. Well said, Francis. And thank you, thank you for sharing your memory and to everyone for sharing their memories. We love this game and we love talking about it. And it's a privilege to sit here with everyone with all our levels of experience and knowledge and just learn and, and, and enjoy this game. Um, but as we end the show, I have one more quiz question. So get your pads out. This is for the title. Will we see... Ahmed or Francis win, if I'm correct, they're table topping. And Nimlin could come in and 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 tie it all up. Um, for the rest, you're playing for pride. You're playing for pride, yeah. Um, so here's the final question. Nuno Espirito Santo is the only manager in the Premier League with African heritage. Which country was he born in? All righty, has everyone written their answers? Okay, let's start at the bottom of the table first. Kalechi, do you have an answer for that? <laughs> just guessing. I, I wrote down Angola because uh, it's a former Portuguese colony. I just, I'm just okay, guessing. So Ang Angola is, is incorrect, but I like your thinking. What was your <laughs> final score out of 10? <laughs> Three, last. Three out of 10. Last. <laughs> <laughs> Sammy, we'll go to you. Do you have an answer for us? This one stumped me because I'm thinking, um, I didn't have an answer for this one. <laughs> you want to guess? Guess the Portuguese? Yeah, that's the thing. I was thinking Portuguese countries. Oh, no, I'll, I'll take my dignity and just shut up. I don't know the answer. <laughs> it's okay. What, what was your final score? Oh, out of 10. All righty. Um, we'll move it to, um, I think it is, uh, Courtney. What, 
Do you do you have an answer for us there? Zain, I actually read up on this thing. I can't remember the country's name simply. Uh, but it's such a small country of Portuguese descent. I think it's on the, the west of Africa. Very, very small country. Yeah, 510, which is 50%. 50%. Um, Ahmed Yusuf. No, no, Ahmed, sorry. We're going to go to Nimlin next. No idea, Zain. I would have probably guessed like a Madagascar or a, or a Mozambique or something like that. But no idea. Sure, sure. So what's your final score? A six. Hey, it's amazing. You can beat your heroes. You've beaten Courtney here. Uh, <laughs> um, um, uh, I'll, I'll go before Francis because I have a feeling Francis knows the answer. Um, so my, my, my guess is, was it, it's between, well, it originally was Mozambique because of the Portuguese, but then when someone mentioned about the island on the west, and I'm thinking, is it Cape Verde or something like that? But if I'm honest, I don't know. So have a guess. Have a guess. You got to get. You got to have a guess. You got to have a guess. Go for your, your your face is kind of. I'll take. I'll go, I'm going to go for Cape Verde. Cape Verde. You know what? I would have gone for Cabo Verde too, but it's not the right answer. So you end on seven out of ten. Is that right? Seven. Very good. Very very good, Ahmed. I know Francis knows the answer to this, so he's going to win the title. Francis, give it to everyone. And then I'm wrong. <laughs> you know, I think he was born in Sao Tome. Let's give Francis a round of applause, everyone. The champion, 8 out of 10. Tells you I really don't really use my time so well. <laughs> you get a life right? <laughs> for, for winning the um, winning the prize um, you'll get to pick the next Nando's we get to meet and eat at um, Kalechi and um, Sammy given that you're in London we'd like to invite you to eat with us the next time we're able to do this when we're out of crazy lockdown and Nimlin for participating when Nando's open again in South Africa I will send you a voucher so thank you, thank okay. you. <laughs> Guys, as always, thank you for coming on, telling our stories, celebrating our heroes, and developing an amazing community. Thank you, everyone. Have a good week. Thank you very much. Cheers.